when you are thinking about uh, the development of people and this holds true for large organizations as well as it does for, for a country is how much freedom are you giving them? How much uh, independence and structure that they have in their lives? And often it is about the balance of power between the state, which is the government, and the business. India is becoming more aspirational. It is absolutely important to ensure that they are skilled. Uh, because their aspirations are going up on a daily basis, we've got to skill them first and then you know, ensure that they have jobs. The income pyramid of the country, uh, right? Uh, and it was a very steep pyramid, right? Even if you look at the latest data, I think five crore people file taxes, which means they earn more than five lakh rupees. So this middle class that we keep talking about, where is that? And when will that come? Hi, welcome to another episode of Open Dialogue by Access Bank. Open Dialogue is a forum to bring to you topics of macroeconomics, finance and banking with some eminent experts in the field. I am Samir Shetty, I am your host for the day. I am joined today by Rajiv Anand and Nilkan Mishra. Uh, this is a, a continuing episode in our series of topics on India. In our last episode, we looked at uh, the balance sheet of the country, corporates uh, and, and banks. Uh, today, we'll deep dive a little bit into the consumer sector and particularly look at the demographics of India. A quick introduction uh, for our uh, eminent panelists. Uh, I'm joined today by uh, Nilkant. Uh, Nilkant Mishra is the chief economist at Access Bank. He is also a member of the Prime Minister's Economic Advisory Council. Uh, he is also the part-time chairman of UIDAI and a very popular face in the topic of global macroeconomics. Uh, joining me also is Rajiv Anand. Rajiv is the Deputy Managing Director of Access Bank. He has had multiple decades of uh, experience in key management positions across financial institutions in India and globally. Uh, he, his expertise lies in the areas of asset management, treasury, corporate banking and wholesale banking. Uh, thank you gentlemen for joining me. Thank you for having us. So, we'll very quickly start off the topic to tee off uh, Nilkant. Uh, India has always been touted as this bird of gold. Uh, but in reality, that promise has not been delivered fully yet. So, what's happened here? Can you just kind of run us through, play, us, play the movie for us, if you will? So, uh, the, the opportunity size remains very significant. Uh, the fact is that over the next decade, India will be adding the most number of workers or, or people of working age to the population. So the opportunity side uh, size is, is very big. I think where we have struggled is that we have uh, not used our human assets uh, much more productively. We are not, we are not uh, training them enough well enough. We are not taking care of their health well enough. You know, if you have a large percentage of kids who are malnourished or stunted by till the age of five, their brains are never going to be, uh, you know, fully developed when they are adults. So, uh, so we have struggled to solve some of the basic problems. But uh, what is very heartening is that in the last 20 years, we have made big strides in solving them. And some of those people are now coming, becoming of age, uh, coming of age. They're joining the workforce. Uh, so we are seeing a, a significant improvement in the percentage of people who are who are graduates. Uh, people are are healthier. Uh, and uh, we have also uh, provided them with, with 
absolutely essential infrastructure like uh, you know road connectivity so that they can move around uh, electricity uh, dense energy forms like cooking gas so that their daily productivity can improve uh, data connectivity phone connectivity so you know so there is a lot of basic infrastructure that we were not providing uh, our, our people uh, we are also helping them provide capital uh, and uh, india has never been short of entrepreneurs but uh, we we have always been short of capital and uh, the problem was and it it's to to a large extent true uh, for for every company in the world it's not just in india that uh, even though capital is available providing it to the right size to the right people has been a huge challenge and uh, one of the reasons why uh, we should be more optimistic about the next 10 years than what we have managed to do in the last 10 years is that uh, not only is our balance sheet much cleaner than it was because remember the last 10 years also we we had solved those problems but we were going through the cleaning up of balance sheets uh, but as we go forward uh, the large number of people joining the workforce have well much better capital better access to energy they're much more connected to the world they're much better educated uh, and they have much better access to information so to get more out of them is uh, is is a lot easier one last point uh, when you are thinking about uh the development of people uh and this holds true for large organizations as well as it does for for a country is how much freedom are you giving them uh how much how much uh, independence and structure that they have in their lives and uh, uh often it is about the balance of power between the state which is the government and the business uh in countries where the state is super dominant it starts to prescribe the license raj was an extreme case of that uh, uh the productivity and the entrepreneurship here is not very very high uh, whereas what we are seeing in india is that the state is willingly taking a step back and allowing businesses to thrive because it sees the merit in allowing the economy to grow which is the reason why i think all that promise uh, uh that that we have perhaps not lived up to there is a reasonable probability that we will do so in the next 10 years great so rajiv you obviously run uh, the consumer business for the bank also in the mutual fund uh, earlier how have you seen the consumer behavior change and you know what do you see happening from here i think uh, the last 10 to 15 years has has been a seminal shift in terms of you know consumption uh, i i think we've seen um the evolution of let's say not in the last 10 15 maybe you know 20 25 years the evolution of television and i think that has built aspirations not just in in south bombay but you know deep in this country uh, people can see how the world is living people are able to see how urban india is living and therefore uh, aspirations have gotten built so i think that's that's the first and important part once the aspirations get built meeting those expectations then become very very important and in the previous episode and i think neil neil can briefly spoke about this and we spoke about it in the previous episode as well is that therefore given the fact that you know india is becoming more aspirational it is absolutely important to ensure that they are skilled uh, because their aspirations are going up on a daily basis we've got to skill them first and then you know ensure that they have jobs because if you are not able to do that uh either either we'll have a we'll have a nation of um liftmen and watchmen and uh, and delivery boys 
or we will have social unrest. And so therefore, skilling this, this population I think is, is super critical uh, as we go forward. But having said that, I think the, uh, you know, the, the middle class, the middle middle and the upper middle, you know, has really, you know, come of age over the last, you know, 10 to 15 years. Um, more brands are now available um, and, and the evolution of e-commerce has ensured that where in the old days uh, distribution was, was an issue, meaning that you could only go and buy a certain set type of shoes uh, if you had a particular store in, the, in, in your area or in your city, that is no longer a problem. I mean, you can, you can just go on to Flipkart or Amazon and irrespective of which city you are in, you are able to buy exactly the same sort of things that somebody in South Bombay or South Delhi is to buy, uh, is able to buy. And therefore, that has ensured that the geographic spread uh, of consumption has, has rapidly increased. Right. That, is, that has also been driven by, by the entire, you know, sort of digital uh, foray that we have taken over the last, you know, 15 odd years. And, and I think a, a call out is certainly necessary uh, to the telecom companies. I think they are in a sense underappreciated because everything that we are able to do on digital and you know, Samir, you, you are part of digital banking, you wouldn't have a job if the telecom guys weren't able to do what they were able to do. Um, and, and that has ensured that uh, the ability to pay uh, has become much easier. Uh, today, we, uh, we are doing 10 transactions per month per Indian yep. uh, on through UPI. Yep. Phenomenal. Yeah. Right. Crore, I, mean, I think they are expecting it to cost 10 crore transactions next month, right? Like Unbelievable yeah. numbers. And I, I think the adoption of UPI, and it's not just, you know, people like us, but it, it is widespread. It is simple, easy to understand. And that is, in a sense, transformed the way. Uh, that uh, that people are uh, are consuming and and for businesses for the government uh, is, is it's also great because a lot of the stuff is moving from informal to formal uh, there is there is now a digital trail so the taxman can you know uh, go after them but at the same time for banks like us we now know you better right uh, and so therefore our ability to underwrite you uh, and give you personal loans uh, has improved and so therefore aspirations have increased the ability to to meet those aspirations either with your own because you've got a better job and you know getting higher incomes or you know you're coming to banks who, who are who have built a phenomenal retail retail lending business uh, over the last you know 20 years has helped meet those aspirations and and therefore consumption you know i there was this fascinating fascinating statistic so i was this was, I, I don't know where i saw this but if you go to 2006 or 7 and if you look at what was the size of consumer lending in the country uh, that number is the same as the size of Axis Bank's consumer lending book in 2018. So in 2018, Axis Bank did as much as the entire country in just a, maybe a decade or 12 years back, right? It's just fascinating to see the kind and, of… And that, that's happened, uh, you know, Samir, one, because, you know, people want to buy and consume various goods and services. But also, banks have gotten a lot more confident because the infrastructure has yeah. got constructed, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. I mean, uh, I know you better because yeah. of, you know, because of digital, di digital and data. Mobile has helped me deliver that I instantly to you. Banks like us were able to do a personal loan for pre-approved customers in a matter of seconds now. Uh, so therefore, you could be sitting at, you're standing at a store and you need a loan and you could get a loan instantly. Uh, and, and the evolution of credit bureaus. 
um, the evolution of uh, of uh, Neil Khan's part-time job, uh, Aadhaar, yeah. has been phenomenal. Absolutely, and therefore, yes. you know, your ability to uh, to ensure that I'm doing KYC is is no longer based on a on a piece of paper. I'm able to you know ping the Aadhaar uh, database to authenticate you. It uh, is easier. It is cheaper. It is also more authentic. Correct. Because the ability to do fraud itself kind of goes down quite quite dramatically. So it, it just kind of win win from every angle, right? There is no compromise. And so therefore, this whole infrastructure has gotten built, uh, and that has that has fueled uh, retail lending in this country. Uh, and 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 I and I think this this machine uh, is is going to continue to chug along uh, as we go forward. I and and I think the point that Neil made is we will get into. Uh, into into middle income categories, which means that you know aspirations are only going to go up, which means consumption will continue to go up, and which means that retail lending will continue to grow. Right, and I, I must add to that that, uh, and, and this is where the first step uh, to to any important change is ambition and and uh, risk appetite, and I think consumers and the younger consumers today are a lot more willing to take on debt than perhaps people 20, 30 years back. Because debt at that time was, I mean, there's a sense of shame. It's a bad word. Yeah, yeah, it was a bad word. <laughs> yeah, and and today uh, you find, you know, personal loans of 40 lakhs being taken to redo the house. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and and, I, and it's quite remarkable. Uh, yeah. And these are like, I mean, the specific case study is like, you know, two professionals in a top level consulting company who are taking a 40 lakh loan to do up their house. So, you know, this, this shows a level of confidence in the future that I will be able to earn and, and spend it. I'm, I'm, you know, there are rich people spending 40, 50 lakhs on one travel, uh, yep. on one trip and, and taking a loan for that. Uh, th these would have been unthinkable even 10 years back. No, absolutely. Uh, fascinating, fascinating point. Now, uh, Nilkan, just coming to you, since we are in the topic of credit, uh, just talk a little bit about the balance sheet of the Indian consumer and what it looks like today and again, you know, how it looked like 10 years back and hence, what does that mean for us as a country? So, it is definitely under levered. So, if you uh, look at uh, uh, retail uh, loans as a percentage of GDP, we are nowhere compared to what the US, China, Europe or you know, any other country are. So, uh, we are what, one-sixth, one-seventh? Yeah. Uh, and one of the most important uh, factors here is mortgages. So, uh, even 200 years back, the, uh, the most popular form of consumer credit was mortgages. Mortgages, yes. Uh, because it is the safest type of loan to give because the person is living there, they, are, they, they do want to continue living there and, and, and there is a harder set that you are underwriting at the time of purchase. So, it is a very safe loan. Uh, and I think there is significant growth that can happen. The, the, the only issue in India is that uh, a lot of the houses are self-picked. Right. So, you can, you can underwrite a mortgage if there is a you know, commercial developer building it. Uh, same with autos, right? So, the, the, the largest uh, consumer loan categories after mortgages would be autos in most markets. Uh, and the auto sector penetration is just about starting to take up, right? So, we are still, I would say, you know, one-sixth the size of China. Uh, and so, there is, is a significant room for, for improvement there. Um, you look at, uh, uh, you know, things like education loans or uh, uh, things like, you know, uh, unsecured personal loans. 
and with this uh, uh, and, and in fact I must say that a lot of personal loans are also uh, kind of disguised business loans because the, there's such a high informality in our economy that uh, the, the, the shopkeeper cannot borrow against the shop because the shop is not a company yep. and so the, the shopkeeper is forced to take a loan uh, for themselves and then deploy it in the business. So and the personal loan, by the way, is cheaper than what he would otherwise have gotten as a hundred percent from his, uh, you know, from the neighborhood uh, money lender. Money, money lender. Correct. Yeah. So, so, uh, so therefore, I think the scope for this to rise is significant. Uh, uh, what we need to be very careful about is is that, um, and and of course now, as as Rajiv was saying, we we know. Uh, you know, with these account aggregators, you, they, you with with consent, and so there is a very nice consent architecture which is also mm. coming up under the new regulations. So, uh, so if they if they want that loan, they will allow you to screen their bank account, uh, bank statement. In the bank statement, you can see over the last one two years what is their regular inflow, what is their regular outflow. You look at what is the monthly saving, and you can go up to 50, 70 percent of that and give them as a loan, uh, as EMI, right? So. I think the, the systems to deliver those loans uh, have also come, started coming up. Uh, but at the same time, I think we need to be a bit careful about the pace at which this starts to grow. Uh, what we are, uh, what, what is quite remarkable and encouraging is that uh, even the regulator is letting it happen. So they've, they've given the warnings, but they've still not raised the risk weights uh, uh, and, and which suggests that uh, they, they are watching it but they also don't want to stop it just because they don't understand it, right? So maybe it is something that needs to flourish for a while and can flourish for a while before it starts to get into very risky territory. Right. So I'll just take on that point and Rajiv come to you, which is you have on one side, you have India, which is one sixth uh, the indebtedness at the consumer level compared to let's say a US or a China or whatever. On the other side, you have uh, basically consumer delinquency levels, which are at historic lows. Uh, and you know India has perhaps had you know 15 years of low consumer delinquencies, uh, right? Uh, and by the way, at the same time, there is at this point in time there is a lot of uh, talk around you know potential kind of bad debts being created in the consumer sector. So is this a problem of you know one leg in the in hot water, one leg in cold water, and hence on average you feel good the one six delinquency, <laughs> or is it something else here? I think the lending that we do, uh, let me just use the credit bureau uh, score, a score of around 700, you know, anything over 700 is considered to be, you know, safe. I mean, think of yourself like a AAA, right? I mean, most of the lending that banks are currently doing is in that vicinity uh, of, a, of a 700 credit score. So, we still haven't got to the next level of uh, of borrowers uh, and so therefore you know if if i were lending to the two of you i mean i won't ex i won't have expected you to default over the last you know decade because you've got stable jobs you've got you know annual increments and bonuses etc the likelihood of you know, people like you uh, defaulting is is very very low and in a sense you are really you are lending to these i mean these type of customers the next phase of growth uh, really will be as you keep going lower and lower uh, in terms of credit scores. We are not there yet. Uh, I think, you know, we, we spoke about how generationally it has become socially acceptable now to be able to borrow, right? Maybe perhaps it, you know, that's the shift that's happened. 
from the time that you know i don't i can't remember my father you know having any loan i mean i had a loan you know quite deep into my career but you know young kids today at 25 have some loan or the other i think phase 1 is they've gotten comfortable with with loans but you know they also recognize the social stigma of defaulting the fact that they'll never ever get a loan again etc Uh, and so therefore in that phase of evolution that probably that's where we are i think as we as we continue to grow over the next decade you know uh, we will certainly see maybe more uh, maybe a little more affluence but you know as we get a little more hungry in terms of growth uh, we will we will start to write slightly lower levels of credit as well maybe test it out maybe you know see how it works and and so on and so forth so seeing a retail credit cycle i think is is some time away right um still very early days uh, you know to my mind uh, in terms of you know how uh, retail credit is is currently playing out if you look at it from 2010 2012 13 to 2023 except the brief period which was really covid induced yeah, we've had a fantastic cycle uh, if you look at at an industry level if you look at some of the early delinquency numbers there there doesn't seem to be anything that that seems to indicate that you know there is uh, there is anything uh, of great concern the two things that one always watches out for on retail lending is a significant diminution in value of assets so you know uh, nilkan spoke about mortgages if let's say household house prices drop by 50% it is inevitable that uh, that you will see delinquency if you're not in a situation like that and the other is is widespread job losses right i mean you lose you lose your job i mean the probability that you will you will have enough money to be able to pay your emis you know will reduce every month on month we are not in that situation either at this point in time ultimately you know like like we discussed in the previous uh, episode as well ultimately it comes down to how the underlying economy is doing uh, and so therefore if there is general well being you know jobs are being created increments are uh, are uh, are being got uh, the likelihood of a retail credit cycle is is to that extent unlikely yeah and you know another kind of fascinating data point we've just started lending with partners uh, personal loans and the age group that is the largest in terms of demand is 22 to 28 year olds uh, again you know very fascinating because typically we see we see kind of a slightly higher age group uh, who are taking loans Uh, but clearly that's also also changing quite rapidly so just changing tracks a little bit nilkan you spoken multiple types times about this fertility rate and uh, you know how that's kind of uh, uh, you know dropping and creating some fairly major shift for the economy just enlighten us about about this this topic so um, so the total fertility rate uh, <coughs> the definition is the the number of children uh, women has in a reproductive age right so in a population uh the the long term sustainability uh, for long term sustainability of the population you need a fertility rate of 2.1 so two parents two kids and then there is a 5% mortality right some uh, so our uh, fertility rate is dipped below 2.1 now so in right. 2020 it was 2 uh, that doesn't mean that the population will start falling off today but it's that uh over the next 30 40 years the population will st- slowly stabilize and then start declining now when it falls below 2 for the first 20 odd years 
the dependency ratio starts to drop. What is dependency ratio? It is the number of consumers per producer. Right. So, uh, so as the young age dependency ratio starts to drop because there are fewer kids, uh, it does several things. One, it it uh, frees up time for the parents or would be would have been parents uh, uh, to to doing work which can be counted as GDP because bringing up kids is a lot of work as well as we all know, but uh, but it is not counted as GDP. Uh, and so as you start doing more commercial work or you start doing more work for what you can export or you know um, and and therefore the incomes then improve right because then you are uh, earning more the second is that you don't have to con spend on on that and therefore uh, some part of that also improves your savings and as you have you know uh, as the as at an economy level uh, you have fewer consumers per producer your aggregate savings start to go up Right. And and uh, so that classic example that you gave of one leg hot water, one leg cold water. So basically, uh, as savings in the economy start to go up, the cost of capital starts coming down, and then uh, there are more people who want to borrow from the future and start spending today. So so a lot of interesting things start to happen. Uh, the economy, uh, like this is what Japan went through in the 70s, China went through in the 90s. The economy starts to shift into a current account surplus. So basically, this as we discussed earlier, that the current account balance is your consumption minus your production, uh, or production minus your consumption. So if you are consuming more, you have a deficit. In this case, you start shifting from what India is at current account deficit to possibly a current account surplus. Right. And so, Rajiv, how does this play out for, let's say, the savings in the country? And are you seeing some? Some of this happen already. Uh, if let's say households have more savings, uh, how does that translate for for the country as a whole? I'm not seeing savings grow materially. Uh, I think we can't have a situation where you know savings go up materially uh, in an environment where I mean, I mean if you look at uh, penetration of pretty much any product in this country uh, is very very low. Uh, right. So I think to that extent consumption will continue to. Uh, to grow quite strongly uh, at the cost of savings right uh, and therefore you know the question that neil khan made ultimately we will have to find avenues of of pools of money to be able to fund ourselves because there are there's only so many pools that we have which is household savings government savings um, and corporate savings um, I, I think corporates corporates will continue to uh, you know do well in an in an economy which is which is growing at let us say six and a half percent. You know, government in general has been quite anemic in as far as savings is concerned. I don't see that changing, uh, and so therefore, uh, you know, we will we will continue to see some semblance uh, of pressure on the current account uh, if consumption continues to grow. Uh, at the cost of household savings, maybe if Neil can't. Uh, yeah, so uh, so that has definitely been the case so far. Uh, but if I think about the next three to five years, or if you see uh, uh, not just savings but also uh, the nature of savings. Yep. So we are now about two. Like SIPs as an example, right? Like that. Yes. Equity investments seems to have just kind of blossomed out of nowhere Correct. in the last. And three there years. are lots of new asset classes coming up. So there are. Uh, uh, asset management companies that are floating, you know, alternative credit <coughs> funds, and then uh, uh, you know things, the venture capital funds. So the first round of venture capital that came into India was mostly global funds having an India allocation. Uh, 
uh, what we are seeing in the last two, three years, even as the foreign funds have kind of pulled back uh, because of problems elsewhere and in China and all of that, uh, and of course, excessive valuations and a down cycle, we are seeing a lot more of Indian uh, VC funds starting to come up. So what has happened, what happens after, you know, two generations away from, from agriculture is that the, the attraction of physical assets like land also starts to taper off. So 20 years back, if you had savings, your parents would tell you, uh, you know, buy some land somewhere because uh, your great-grandfather bought something and look, we are all better off for it. Uh, in the current generation, most people are going to be actually saving. So, so I think what, what Raji was saying is true for net savings. So, so when you look at savings, there is gross household savings and there is gross household borrowing. So I think both are starting to rise, which right. is that one, that cold water, hot water. So gross savings will start to go up. And as the, 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 the cost of uh, funds and the ease with which you can lend improves, uh, household borrowing will also start yeah. to go up. So it's the, it's the net saving which perhaps uh, matters. But at an ag aggregate economic level, I know if you say India's services exports, I mean, one of the things that I think has also happened is uh, no, with, with, with this growing telecom connectivity, which we discussed earlier on the show, uh, is that it is much easier now to participate in services value chains globally. So sitting in India, um, yeah, I, I, I know of, uh, of fitness instructors who are giving uh, uh, yoga training uh, to people in Canada and the US, uh, but at a more systematic level, there are semiconductor fabs being run out of India. There are, uh, uh, you know, oil drilling companies are doing, you know, the, the drilling data is being processed overnight and then sent back to the site. So there's a lot of services that can be provisioned from India as well. And as this number grows up, and it is growing remarkably fast, uh, it, can, it can actually completely uh, wipe out our current account deficit. Samir, j just one more point I wanted to make on household savings. Yes, household savings are going up and uh, I do agree that yes, there's a lot of money coming into equities and, uh, and I think SIPs have been a you know, phenomenal success story over the last you know, 10 years. But, it is, but I think the composition is changing as well. Right. So equities, pension funds um, uh, and such like uh, are growing at the cost of fixed deposits. Right. Right. I mean, you, you can clearly see that that banks in general have uh, deposit growth has been, you know, uh, fairly lackluster uh, because of the fact that household savings uh, is seeing this change uh, across, uh, you know, moving away from the more traditional products to, uh, to you know, things like mutual funds, mutual or, funds yeah. pension funds and such like. And the other fascinating uh, uh, statistic there was that 55% uh, of Indian household savings is in non-financial assets. And this is also declared, right? So the reality might be even starker. Correct. So it's in land and gold. Gold. Uh, and so if that changes, then this picture may change even more dramatically uh, uh, in, in terms of you know money coming to the... But th there's an interesting aspect to gold. Uh, I think one of the things that, I mean, just to go back to the point on gross versus net, the stock of gold is, is getting increasingly uh, refined. I mean, which is why you have so many you know, gold loan, gold loan companies, banks are, you know, getting more and more into gold loans, etc. Once again, they are, they are able to monetize their gold, may not necessarily sell it, but monetize through gold loans, which is, you know, once again, good for banks, good for consumption, uh, and so on and so forth. Right. 
So moving on to two other topics I wanted to cover before we quickly close this. One is the income pyramid of the country, uh, right? Uh, and it was a very steep pyramid. Like even if you look at the latest data, I think uh, five crore people file taxes, which means they earn more than five lakh rupees. Uh, so this middle class that we keep talking about, like wh- where is that, and when will that come? So Nilkant, if you have any. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go by tax returns when you're looking at uh, incomes. Sure. Oh, that's just a, that's one number, right? So, uh, look at the number of people traveling abroad. Look at the number of luxury cars being sold. Look at the number of 50 lakh plus apartments being sold. Uh, no, I think the the class is actually pretty substantial now and right. growing very rapidly. Uh, in fact, if you see the number of people who are reporting reporting incomes above. 25 lakhs and 50 lakhs and, and, and 1 crore, 20 lakhs, 50 lakhs and 1 crore. Uh, that number this year is substantially higher than what it was last year. And uh, so that's just improving compliance. But the fact that, I'll give you a very, very simple metric. In 2012, the personal vehicles market, cars were 70% by value. Now they are 30% by value. 70% is the SUVs and MPVs. So the price points uh, at which pe- people are consuming uh, personal vehicles have moved up quite dramatically. Um, so the the, num- the, the, the 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 numbers of middle class are of course still a small percentage of the overall population, but the growth in that is actually quite substantial. Understood. And so Rajiv, if you bring this back to the consumer uh, business, uh, like again another statistic that like endlessly fascinates me is that. For a country of 1 billion, there are 87 million credit cards in the country, uh, right? And maybe the number of people with the cards… 3 crores. Yeah, it's maybe 3 crores, right? So, what does, like, help me understand, like, put this into perspective and just your view of where this goes 10 years from now. Let's look at um, uh, payments in in three buckets, right? Uh, Pay before, which means that you move money into a wallet right. and then pay from that. I mean, that business is, you know, pretty much dead. It, it, was, it, was, a, it was a story for a few years and it's moved on thanks to pay now, which is, which is basically whatever money I have in my bank account, I have multiple ways to, uh, to use that. I could go to, in the old days, I used to go to an ATM, withdraw that money and, uh, and, and use it. Um, so, you typically the use of debit cards used to be you know, very, very strong. But today, UPI is ubiquitous, right? And so, therefore, that is the that is the pay now model, yep. where it has become earlier, uh, I would, on a Saturday, I would go to the ATM and withdraw 20,000 rupees being expenses, you know, for the week. Now, I no longer do that. I mean, if, if I have to pay the dhobi guy 842 rupees, I just UPI him, he's happy, I'm happy, everybody's happy. And that's the uh, that's the beauty of of digital payments, and and we spoke about in the previous episode how that that number is is going up, you know, quite phenomenally. There are ten transactions per every Indian per month uh, at this stage, and it continues to to grow. The last stage is what is called pay later. Uh, so I want to buy a TV. I don't have money in my in my account. Uh, I would either take a personal loan uh, or use a credit card. So credit the credit card is is a credit product. And, uh, and the beauty of the credit card is what is called the four-party model. So there are four players in every transaction. Uh, there, is, uh, there is the merchant, 
there is a there is a customer there is a acquiring bank you know you go to a, a store the and there is a there is a POS machine there and there is an issuing bank the bank that has issued uh, the credit card it really doesn't matter whose credit card you have and whose machine you have yep. you just go to you go to the merchant and you give him the card uh, you don't have to worry about if if you're holding an access bank card you don't have to worry about whether that car machine is an access bank machine or not the transaction will go through think about it like you you are holding a indigo ticket you go to the you go to the airport uh, and you find that there is an air india plane which is leaving earlier you can use the same ticket and go on to an air india flight that is what is called interoperability uh, and therefore that is what has helped us build the debit and credit card and now the upi uh, ecosystem uh, to the point that you are making on uh, on credit cards uh, i think as uh, as we see consumption continue to grow uh, and more and more consumers um, come into the into the digital fold which means that it becomes easier for banks to better understand them and therefore underwrite them i think is inevitable uh, that the credit card business that we currently have will continue to grow manifold the form factors may change i mean today you continue to hold a piece of plastic in your uh, in your wallet maybe that that piece of plastic will go away uh, and will get converted into uh, into a piece of software uh, or an app uh, on your mobile uh, and you can just tap and go uh, you know everywhere uh, you're already seeing you know uh, you know some form of that already you see it you know quite a lot abroad and i think it's just a question of uh, a question of time before the form factor you know changes in india as well uh, i think you know 3% penetration of credit cards is is ridiculous i mean if you look at brazil it's closer to 25% if you look at uh, china it is you know closer to 40% so i think it's inevitable that this number will continue to grow it's a bit of a chicken and uh, chicken and egg situation earlier what would i do with a credit card because the number of post terminals weren't enough but now the between the post terminals and the upi qr codes you know you can pay pretty much everywhere uh you know digitally uh, and therefore you could pay by upi or you could pay by upi on credit card which means that that upi transaction will either hit your credit card or will hit your bank account and you know you could choose between the two and i think that will also ensure that the acceptability of of credit cards etc will continue to widen uh, and go deeper and deeper into this country into smaller and smaller merchants and therefore the need for a pay later product ie a credit card i think will continue to grow yeah i mean it's uh, again a little mind boggling right you just this is the numbers you mentioned rajiv there is a 10x potential here absolutely uh, uh, and basis basis today uh, hopefully like presumably in 10 years brazil and china also would have moved from 24 25 and 42 whatever else uh, but yeah again very fascinating i think ultimately everything comes down to you know what we've been discussing growing affluence yeah you know i think as uh, as the nation continues to uh, to become a 5 trillion and a 10 trillion dollar economy uh, you know many of these things that you know you can't think about today will become you know day to day right just for perspective so brazil was at our per capita gdp what we had in 2014 they had in 1983 right so they are at least 30 years 30 ahead. years ahead of us right yeah. so uh, so it takes time uh, uh, the if you divide the credit card usage into as as rajiv was saying into uh, a payment thing and a credit thing so the payment thing the fact that now a third of our transactions are digital 
is quite remarkable. So at least the payment side, I think there is very strong competition for credit cards, uh, the convenience of paying that is. Uh, but I think from the credit side, yes, of course, there is a lot of growth. One very important indicator of, of how fast aspirations are changing and how fast ability to pay is changing is look at uh, airline traffic. Uh, the fact that volume growth in those is, is continuing to be in double digits mm. is, is itself a very strong indicator of the ability of people to pay for flights. And, and, and the fact that uh, uh, and the fact that you know airline tickets because of competition and opening up and privatization have kind of those ticket prices have not gone up very sharply is is uh, also and the fact that there are more airports but it is helping us uh, or, or exposing us to the potential of how large the middle class is in India so that brings me to the kind of last segment here uh, and I go back to the hot water, cold water analogy, which is, uh, you know, in one of the most talked about topics post-COVID was this K-shaped recovery that, you know, hot water is becoming hotter and cold water is becoming colder. Uh, how has that played out in the content? You know, where are we today in India as so, we speak of this? Yeah, so that's, uh, to some extent that K-shape was to be expected and we have discussed this uh, uh, often that, uh, you know, when you lock people down, what you do is uh, you slow down the flow of services because the flow of goods can continue to happen through delivery boys and uh, e-commerce or even, you know, some stores are open at that time. But services like travel, restaurants, uh, education, coaching, you know, these were all shut down. So the schools were shut down, private schools were shut down. So, uh, uh, so a lot of the transfer from the rich to the poor because services are about the rich uh, buying the time of the poor effectively right uh, it's very f rare like in medicine or legal where the poor buy the time of the rich uh, so when you lock people down you have savings here in the rich and deficits in the poor because they still have to survive so they shared assets they take a lot of loans so when we came out of the, the pandemic and the opening up happened uh, this was a lot of savings here excess savings here and deficits here and a lot of distress here. Now, then this revenge spending starts, right? So everyone starts going to restaurants and so on and so forth. And then slowly this segment starts to revive. So over the last year, year and a half, we have seen that revival start to happen. Now what we are also seeing is an improvement in construction. So, uh, so one of the strongest takeaways from the June quarter results was that not only is infrastructure construction by state and central governments doing well, commercial developers are building real estate, residential and commercial real estate and the independent home builder is also starting to repair houses, add rooms or whatever. Now this is showing up in cement volume growth, tiles volume growth, uh, uh, PVC pipe volume growth and a lot of other syndicators. If you are seeing so much construction, that construction cannot happen automatically, right? So there are a lot of construction jobs. And after agriculture, construction is the biggest employer. So there is a pickup in the jobs for that 8, 12, 10, 12, 15,000 rupees per month kind of jobs. And this is now starting to show up in the commentary by some of the consumer goods companies right. uh, who are starting to say that, look, the, the bottom of the pyramid, the, the, the slowdown is now reversing. It is still not as fast as the, the upper end of the, the income pyramid but a very visible recovery is underway and uh, if the rich keep spending then that keeps creating demand. I mean imagine 
hotel room in in Odisha in Puri going at twenty five thousand rupees a night. What does that hotel manager do? Add more rooms, uh, add more people, and 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 so it's that activity which I think will start to normalize the two sides of the cake. And I think what is interesting is um, it's quite the opposite in the Western world. Uh, post COVID, I mean, I think in India what we've seen is um, demand has come back, uh, and so therefore you know people who want to come back into the labor force has also you know been quite strong. In the, U, in the US and in Europe as well, uh, the demand has come back, but the people haven't. Right. Uh, and so therefore, you know, that is, you know, for you to be able to attract a waiter in, in a restaurant, you've got to pay, I don't know, maybe 30, 40, 50 percent more than what you did pre-COVID. And that's once again, you know, creating inflationary Inflate, issues. Yeah. And then that is, you know, pushing interest rates up, etc. The point I'm making is, just goes to show that there is, there is a perceptible difference in how economies are doing post-COVID, uh, in in the Western world versus in in countries like uh, countries like India, including in many parts of the emerging markets. Fascinating. So again, just to kind of close this conversation, final points from you on it looks again from a consumer perspective, we are in a sweet spot uh, with the demographic dividend and uh, uh, you know rising education levels and flattening of the K-shape, uh, uh, you know recovery, uh, low consumer indebtedness so on and so forth. What are again two, three risks that could derail this story going forward? Rajiv, starting with you. Like I mentioned to you, I mean, uh, the, the only two things that, that worry me on the retail side is significant diminution in value of assets uh, and, and job losses. I, I don't see that situation at this point in time. Um, you know, let's take, this, let's take this two years at a time. I don't see that situation playing out, uh, you know, anytime soon. Yep. Um, but ultimately, how the underlying economy is doing, uh, is is going to be key on how the retail books are are, are going to play out. Uh, we are certainly in a sweet spot as far as the economy is concerned. Uh, what I would certainly worry about is uh, is the uh, is the impact of you know geopolitics uh, and therefore the implications on the current account rupee and therefore uh, on businesses you know here in India. Uh, uncontrollable at this point in time, but uh, that is something that you would certainly watch out for. Right, and also you earlier mentioned that. We have this great demographic dividend, but we have to make them productive. We have to give them the right Absolutely. education, and you know. Absolutely. So, so that's maybe another long-term risk that uh, needs to be uh, watched yeah, out. I, I think that the point that I was making there is is twofold. One is, you want to get people more educated and therefore become do more value-added jobs. Yep. Uh, you know, Neil Khan spoke about the fact that we don't have a global brand, for example, in you know, in 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 tech. Uh, why why are people not buying a india branded mobile phone in the us for example is 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 i think an absolutely uh, the right question that we should be asking but for you to be able to do that we should be we should getting getting more people out of high school and therefore into uh, into into iits and and such like for you to be able to do that uh, second is if if people are going to get more aspirational getting more educated Creating a job is is extremely critical. Otherwise, you're going to get social unrest. Uh, so, therefore, from both perspectives, uh, the point that I was making is is I think, to my mind, important. Absolutely. So, some of these medium-term growth projections assume a certain level of facilitation by the government. So, for example, if you know India's services exports are accelerating, uh, they require a lot of jobs, and they can create. We had estimated. 
the next three years, two million high quality jobs that can be created. But imagine what happens to the cities in which they are, they are, these jobs are coming up. So can we start to see uh, the kind of congestion that we remember when the IT services boom was happening. It used to take uh, like two hours to get from Silk Board Junction in Bangalore to, 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 uh, to the electronic city. And I think the, the, the facilitation of this in terms of spreading it out over evenly over the cities, um, the, the, uh, the, the expansion of capacities uh, in, in various metros uh, or development of new hubs. I think all of those are extremely important and if we don't manage that well, then what seems like a very long runway can become very short. So again, I think there is a macro story, but then the macro story will play out in pockets. Correct. And those pockets need to be managed. Yes. And you know, this hot water, cold water keeps coming back analogy, but you know, we need to have lukewarm water everywhere, right? And, yes, not, yes. and, and not a combination. Great. Uh, spectacular conversation. Just to kind of summarize uh, on the consumer front, uh, balance sheet look very good. Uh, because we are not, our consumer is not highly indebted. We have a great demographic dividend. Uh, we are, we seem to be making the right progress in terms of how we empower that demographic <coughs> dividend through education, etc. Very long way to go, but the kind of direction seems right. Uh, and our starting point is, it has a long uh, uh, leg way to go up. Uh, the affluence story seems to be playing out. Again, long way to go, but the story seems to be playing out and we are seeing the emergence of the middle class and uh, us becoming, moving towards a middle income economy, as you said. Uh, so lots of great things going on for, for the country. We need to watch out, obviously, in, in terms of how we invest into this uh, demographic dividend, uh, providing the right education, right skill set, uh, right opportunities, and then we can uh, benefit from, from the virtual cycle that emerges out of it. Out of it. Thanks a lot, gentlemen, for joining me today. Thank uh, you for it was a pleasure to, to talk to you. Super conversation, Samir. Thank you. Thank you for listening into this episode of Open Dialogue. I hope you enjoyed this as much as we've enjoyed bringing it to you. We are overwhelmed by the response that you've received and really look forward to your comments and feedback. Do like and subscribe to our channel to keep track of new episodes that are coming through. Thank you.